0: Hello, Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible, though. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis One Two Three Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians, and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. Through this program, we, we are excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel, to give you a window to look through experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion@gmail.com, at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, anytime. time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end where we're also going to share an exciting opportunity with you and please feel free to share this with others who also find it of interest. So a couple of months ago, back in June, I hosted a fabulous woman, major daughter, as a guest right here on the Inspiration from Zion podcast. I don't remember the date. It was the end of June. And if you didn't hear the conversation, um, you're, you're, you're get, in a sense getting uh, part B. You're getting the, the original. And that was the prequel uh, of what this conversation is coming about major daughter is a, uh, is a, a major per, uh, media personality, an influencer, and author in South Africa. And back in June, she hosted an international summit of mostly African leaders coming here to Israel. And I was privileged to join and connect with them on a number of levels. I, uh, I participated in one of the afternoon sessions and a meal at the Jerusalem Hotel. And really remarkably, and it was so special, For me, at least, the next day hosted the entire group for hours in my own Judean mountain community south of Jerusalem. And the purpose of that was, of course, to make relationships, but to understand the realities, especially uh, with, with leaders mostly coming from Africa, about the myths of what people refer to when they speak of the West Bank and the settlements, the community where I live, which these are, in fact, nothing more than Jewish communities restored in the ancient biblical Judea and Samaria. And I was overwhelmed, and I don't say that poetically, I mean it, overwhelmed by the depth and substance and diversity of that delegation that arrived from Africa a day earlier. And I had a privilege, really the privilege, of speaking intensely, not enough, with several of the participants. And I'm really grateful that today we have two of them um, who, who who are here with to kind of continue that conversation and share with you why I was so impressed. Kevin McGarry is an entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. Kevin serves as chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California as an, and is an executive with the Douglas Leadership Institute and the North Star Leadership PAC. Kevin has worked for the past 35 years in information technology as, as a sales and management professional. He has been designated a top performer throughout his sales career, career in the area of cybersecurity, enterprise application, application development automation, enterprise job scheduling utilities, and other things. In addition, he has entrepreneurial skills that, as he has started and participated in several startups. Kevin leads a collection of proactive individuals committed to developing innovative and unique approaches to today's socio political and economic issues with the assistance of elected officials and a myriad of community activists. He also lectures and provides workshops about some of today's most perplexing problems. In the past decade, Kevin has led teams of individuals committed to developing innovative approaches to today's social and political issues. And with the assistance of elected officials, it feels like I'm reading that twice. Um, how to combat most of these uh, political issues. In, to, in 2020, Kevin founded Every Black Life Matters (EBLM), which is a design which is designated to counteract the emerging violence and systematic poverty in underserved, mostly black urban communities. Every Black Life Matters is seen as a moral-based and faith-based alternative to Black Lives Matter. And, that's gonna be kind of where we begin the conversation. Neil Mammon is an engineer by day and a defender of faith by night. I sort of see you as a superhero, Neil. Um, he He is an ordained evangelical minister, literally a man of the world. Neil is African by birth, having been born in Ghana, but grew up in Jamaica, Sudan, Ethiopia, Eritrea, India, and Yemen. Today, we're speaking to Neil in Boise, Idaho. Through Neil's family, though Neil's family is predominantly Christian, and his grandfather was a lay preacher and very active in the church, Neil's extended family consists of a large number of atheists, Marxists, communists, and social justice activists. Three of his uncles, this is really fascinating, talking about diversity, three of his uncles were leaders in the Communist Party in South India, uh, one of whom... Uh, was on the run from India's Prime Minister Nehru with the price on his head. After uh, independence, Nehru was apparently trying to ensure communism did not become established in India, and Neil's uncle was a marked man. One uncle went on to become a leader in the World Council of Churches, one of the more influential liberation, theology, social justice organizations, and a movement that Neil actively speaks against. As a vocal promoter of the morality-restrained free market and a a vocal apologist for Christianity in a family of many socialists and Marxists, Neil is often the black sheep in the family. As an engineer, Neil spends his time designing video and networking systems, computer chips, and boards with uh, tentmakersystems.com and other US and international engineering companies. He has over 16 pending or issued patents and has been the co-founder of 41 startup companies. With the co-founder and CTO of, or vice president of technology, Neil has helped raise over $88 million in venture funding for his various companies. Neil is the founder of NoBlindFaith.com, an apologetics theology and evangelization ministry. Apologetics is the investigation and defense of the truth of Christianity Using facts, reason, science, history, archaeology, and philosophy. I love all that. Neil is a speaker at conferences around the world. He's been on NPR debating Eric Rothschild at the ACLU and Eugenie Scott and over 40 radio shows um, throughout the world. Um, I noticed Dr. Brown is one who was a mutual friend, Michael Brown, who's been on my program here, Eric Metaxas, American Family Radio, and many more. Neil has spoken for the Family Research Council, has been an active speaker at the Values Voter Conference. Neil's daily Jesus and the Pol- and Politics one-minute broadcast is heard on over 160 stations around the U.S. On Amer- and on American Family Radio. To hear them online, visit th- uh, j3ip.wordpress.com. And Neil, which is getting into our topic today, is also the founder of Every Black Life Matters with Kevin, a pro-life response to the Marxist, pro-choice Black Lives Matter. Their focus is on how to actually solve the problem of Black plight in America. Neil has been, as we've discussed, on multiple radio and TV shows, including Breitbart and Newsmax, talking about EBLM. Gentlemen, I have to tell you, when I... There there were so... uh, First of all, that's a very long and formal introduction, and I'm grateful for it. But when I spoke at the outset about being impressed with the people I met at the summit here in June, you too were at the top of that list. And and I was so glad we had just a minute to connect and exchange cards and now be in touch because I felt immediately, oh no, 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 I was not letting these guys get away. I need to speak with them and get them more. So now. I get to double dip. I get to have the personal privilege of speaking with you both, but also broadcasting a conversation to the listeners of Inspiration from Zion um, and share why I was so impressed with you. Thank you for joining us today. We're we're speaking uh, very early morning, my time, and late evening, your time. So thank you for making the time today.
1: Thank you.
2: Welcome, brother. Jonathan, thank you for having us. It's always a privilege it's an honor for, for us, I think, uh, for me, especially, for to see you again and to be able to participate in your, in your podcast.
0: Well, I'm excited about it, and I pray that it'll be the beginning of many, many things. Um, let me frame some stuff, because we met because you would happen to be at the summit organized by Major Daughter. But I met Major Daughter and attended the summit because of the uh, divine appointment that I had with our mutual friend, Regina Roundtree at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in May. And and I just have to put it out there. I, I, I mentioned it with Major Daughter. I mentioned it on the article that I wrote about that conversation with her. As soon as that, Regina's delightful. I mean, really, we, and we've become good friends. But as soon as I, rem, I can go back to exactly where the small table was where we were sitting in the expo area, as soon as I met Regina, I didn't hear the E in BLM. I just heard BLM, and I thought i was not I was sitting across the table from someone who, in her DNA was not prone to be friendly to me and Israel and the Jewish people, and I got my back up and my blood pressure racing and and Regina is wonderful enough that she disarmed me without my even i whether I faked it or not, I don't know, but immediately I was disarmed. I, I want to I just jump in at a very, very wide range and ask you, because we're here in the context of you both as co-founders of Every Black Life Matters, it sounds similar enough to Black Lives Matter, but it's very different. And I want to ask you to explain that. But even before you do or interweave it, how does it make you feel when a white Jewish guy hears BLM in an acronym and gets put off?
2: Yeah, well, uh, so Neil, do you mind if I kind of start yeah, with please, this? Yeah, please. Uh, so uh, we we understand that that's a that's a bit of a it's a conundrum, but but it's and it's a misnomer. And we always have to kind of dig in and help our our brothers uh, understand that we're uh, in the same lane but going the different direction on purpose. So here's how we came to be. Actually, it was I, I owe uh, you know I think we owe uh, all credit to Neil's wife Anna, who when BLM was doing their crazy tearing up the streets and and talking about radical Marxism and talking about dismantling the American family and taking men out of the homes and getting rid of any uh, opportunities for school choice. All these things that would actually hurt black families and then destroying black and brown businesses by setting them afire with their white supremacist friends that are Antifa, you know, uh, guys who would uh, come from the suburbs and go and set these, uh, these urbanized uh, communities on fire. Um, And then when we saw that uh, they were not only uh, hateful and racist to, to, to whites, but also quite bigoted. And anti Semitic to Jews, and we had a lot of Black pastors encouraging their parishioners to go out and march with them. We said, wait a minute, this is real. This is, we've entered the Twilight Zone. We actually have Christian ministers and evangelicals saying, go out and march with BLM, and they're doing all this crazy stuff. And what, we, the church, are supposed to accept this? So uh, Neil and I, uh, Neil said, look, Kev, uh, Neil's wife said, look, can you talk to Kevin? And why don't you ask Kevin uh, if he wants to do something that's an alternative? And uh, I said, well, that's something to think about, Neil, but um, I'm not going to do an alternative unless you were in it with me. So he says, well, I'm not black. I says, you are more African-American than I am. <laughs> you were born in Africa. You <laughs> immigrated to America? You know, I just happen to have the skin, to, the skin color. But look, you're more African-American than I am. So, hey, we're in this together. And so we started it. So here's the thing. We wanted to be in the same lane, but going different directions. We wanted to take the momentum of BLM because they had a lot of momentum. It captivated the entire globe at that time. Um, and except, we wanted it's an aikido move. If you understand martial arts, aikido uses the velocity and momentum of somebody and uses it against them in a defensive maneuver. And so, we wanted to use uh, the name BLM, but not be associated with BLM. So we called ourselves Every Black Life Matters. Now, there's a couple things that that happens with that. People need to understand, uh, and we, we do hear, well, why didn't you just say all lives matter and every life matters? And we have to explain to people, well, that's exactly what we're saying. And then they look at us like, uh, <laughs> no, you're saying every Black life matters. And we say, no, if you understand anything about what Margaret Sanger said, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, before she started, she says, we don't want the word to get out, but we want to thoroughly exterminate the Negro population. This is why she started Planned Parenthood, Okay. So when she started Planned Parenthood in America and, and, and ended up putting 90 plus percent of all Planned Parenthoods within walking distance of Black communities, you know that there's a strategic plot to exterminate the Negro population. The Kevin, let, po-
0: me just, let me just interject. I've heard that many times. It's a, it's a fact. Just for someone listening who, who may have heard it like myself or maybe not, where and how is that documented that that was her agenda?
2: Oh, it's, oh so in my books, uh, Neil's books probably, so in all of my, so if you look at my books, uh, The Warren Women, Woked Up, DEI, I actually have it footnoted, we have everything there where she, all of her crass, uh, really derogatory terms she, she used for Blacks, and then her actual literal quote, she was talking to Gamble, a Gamble heir from the Pop, Procter and Gamble uh, uh, family, and uh, she says, look, uh, this, uh, her exact words is we, we don't want the word to get out, but we want to exterminate the Negro population. That was her words. It's there. It's documented. You can actually Google it. You'll find it. Okay. Uh, you try to hide it a little bit, but you, you can find it. It's an exact quote. Okay. And um, so, so, so she didn't say that about Hispanics, Asians, or anybody else. She said Negroes. She said Blacks. We want to kill some Blacks. So, if you are a, for an all lives matter and every life matters, then this should really concern you because they are strategically targeting the black community. And all we're saying is every black life matters to T.O.O. OK, so instead of blacks being born at this rate and every other ethnicity being born at this rate, much higher, we're saying, look, can every black life matter too? can you stop targeting the black community for black genocide? And just allow us to be born at least at the very same rate that everybody else is. Right now, that's not happening. Blacks make up over 40% of of all abortions in America, represent only 13% of the population. So, I mean, there's a huge disconnect there. So, So, what we're saying to everybody is every Black life matters too. The real fundamental essence of that is... All lives matter and every life matters. So let Blacks be born at the same rate that everybody else is. Stop targeting us for abortions and, and, and Black genocide via abortions. And um, and then, of course, all the other, the litany of other things that we stand for, school choice, pro-fatherhood, pro-nuclear family, uh, free markets, pro-free markets and capitalism, uh, you know, nonviolence. All of those things are exactly the opposite of BLM. So we, there is a stark distinction between the two organizations.
0: Let me share a quick story. Back in college, I studied Hebrew as my foreign language. We were a class of American Jews and one Christian student, Tim. One day, I asked Tim why he was studying Hebrew. I really didn't get it. He explained that he was the son of a pastor and wanted to understand the Bible in its original language. He was insightful beyond my understanding at the time. Recently, I was introduced to E teacher, Which allows people all over the world to learn Hebrew to develop a foundation of the original language of the scripture that's so important to us as Jews and Christians and to gain an understanding that Tim understood laying a critical path for understanding the Bible's original language and a foundation for Christians to understand both the modern state of Israel and the Jewish people on a more personal basis. E-Teacher offers programs to study both biblical and modern Hebrew Taught by experienced scholars through an interactive curriculum. The Genesis One Two Three Foundation is pleased to partner with eTeacher and offer you a fifteen percent introductory discount. You can register through the link in the show notes or be in touch with us at inspiration from Zion at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to forward those links to you. Okay, so let me uh, so I want to thank you for that. That's great. But I want to come back to you know, someone who's white. And Jewish, but American-born, Israeli living. You know, you hear, and I, and I, and I'm not an expert, so you, you, you two are my experts today. Um, When the, when the, not the movement, or maybe the movement, the movement Black Lives Matter began when people were chanting Black Lives Matter. It's, it's except for someone who's a racist, it's impossible to disagree with that statement. That's but in sh- but in short order that became a litmus test for whether you have value whether you agree with that statement or not and in short order after that it became hijacked by a movement and that movement di- di- uh, uh, diverged from the from from basic human values the movement became anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist, which is where I have a problem, my gosh, because not that all Jews, if we're looking at America, not that all Jews in America have ever been any better than the rest of the population. But my God, going back to the civil rights movement and um, and and uh, what's his name? The guy from Sears Roebuck who set up so many black schools, um, Rosenwald. Right. hundreds or, or, or thousands of schools in the black community um in the in the in the early 20th century i, I look at that as a, as an American Jew with a source of pride but then i look at a bunch of people of color saying that i don't have a right to exist how does that play out Neil you want to jump in on any of this yeah no.
1: sure because so what you're looking at is is a marxist base marxist plan right and that is to disrupt uh, Marx, Marx himself, even though he ha- has Jewish ancestry, uh, he himself was pretty much anti-Semitic. And if you start looking throughout the history of communism and Marxism, you will see this trope repeated over and over again, right? It's the attack on the Jews. It's the attack on the uh, the Semitic people. The And I shouldn't say Semitic people because that includes Arabs too, but um, attack on the Jews mainly. Uh, but if you if you... Focus in on what BLM is. BLM at the root of it is a Marxist movement. In fact, Alicia Cullers and all, Patricia Cullers and all those guys all came out very clearly and said, We are trained Marxist operatives. They did. So, yeah, they-, they did. In fact, we have video of that saying that, you know, we're both trained Marxist operatives. We have a framework and this is our goal. So, that's the first thing you see. Secondly, you see them getting into things like witchcraft and. Uh, you know, the whole, say the name, say say their name, say that name. This is the whole, this is a whole uh, ritual for witchcraft. Um, and we have a friend of ours, Abraham Hamilton III, who's actually done a whole expose on this. So you start seeing things that, oh, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with black lives at all. This has to do with Marxism, has to do with witchcraft, it has to do with doing everything that's ungodly. And one of the most ungodly things is to be anti-Semites, right, is to hate the Jews. That's the standard you know you've got to have that check mark if you if you're going to be ungodly that's one of the first check marks you put on there and so it's all tied together and i think that's what you're seeing and that's what we were seeing and that's what we recognize now, the other thing that of course is it's designed to create uh civil unrest what better way how what's a better way to start whites and blacks wow. hating each other than to create this whole uh, tension and, and create problems. And then to come out with, again, you know, critical race theory comes right out of Marxism, right? It's the liberation liberation theology, critical theology, critical uh, uh, theory, and all that stuff is all right out of Marxism. So it's all tied together.
0: Um, uh, I, I didn't know that. And, and, and it kind of leaves me speechless because it just, dis- as much as I am a political conservative, I'm in many ways socially liberal. And yes, of course, I want to take the banner, Black Lives Matter, and run with it, of course. And there is the racism and there is discrimination and that needs to be stopped. But then you have this group of people who 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 have, who have turned it into a Marxist evil. And, and, and it really is. And, and that makes me feel bad because I can't support that. I don't want to
1: support that. So, so then you come on. Yeah, so this is exactly why we realize that uh, and and part of what uh, prompted my wife to tell me to call it Kevin is because we saw some of our Christian friends going out and protesting with BLM, and and she turned to me. She says they don't know that BLM is Marxist. They don't know that BLM is anti-God and anti-Christian and anti-everything they stand for. But they want people to know that they're not racist. Right. So right. right. So so this is. So we need an opportunity for people to, A, show they're not racist, but secondly, to actually solve the issue of black flight. Because black flight is real. Yes. It really is a problem. And if you look at the African-American community, there's 75% fatherlessness. Their literacy rate is 17%. The, the 53% of all homicides are done by black young men, even though they're only 13% of the population. And so you, you keep going down that thing, you know, and, and you realize that the unemployment rate is sky high. Uh, and all of a sudden, you realize, well, there is a real problem. The question is, is it caused by racism today or is it something else?
2: Uh, so right? so what, is- what's, what's the answer to your question? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, if you don't mind me, Neil, I can jump yeah, in for please. a second. It's a little bit of only uh, above. So okay. uh, the reason why I say it's only above is because if you look at, back at the policies, the specific progressive policies that targeted the Black community, okay, Specifically designed for blacks. You look back at Lyndon's veins Johnson. I know that you and I had a conversation about this Johnson when I was there. Yeah, P.J. is the one who, who who ushered in this idea that if we take the fathers out of the homes and blacks, we yeah. can actually incentivize the mother, the the women, to have more children, but to make sure that the fathers outside the home. He was prescient to be able to see that we can have blacks. Tethered, if you will, to our political agenda. For and he said it. And he said I, we can have the n words voting for us for the next two hundred years. This is what he said. The, the exact quote of LBJ. So, um, so, so, so that's the problem that exacerbates the crime, exacerbates everything else. Early, uh, early promiscuity. When you take the father out of the home, which is really the anchor and the pillar of the family. Uh, all of these things, you know, the family becomes uh, vulnerable to all these other social and cultural, uh, you know, woes. Now, the other thing that is uh, racist and it is a problem to this very day is uh, is Planned Parenthood, their agenda. Now, I know that we have a lot of very well-meaning, good Jewish brothers and sisters that that have a more uh, socially progressive idea about abortion. Hey, it's it's worthwhile to need it or whatever, whatever. Uh, but if they understood literally. That abortion is here <laughs> to actually not only you know make sure that blacks don't procreate, but also to make sure that they get rid of the Jewish Jews. Uh, so a lot of people don't make this connection. Let me let me let me give you a little brief history. I'll try to make it quick. So there was a man by the name of Charles Robert Darwin in the 1800s. Charles Darwin had a cousin named Francis Galton. Francis Galton was a statistician. The statistician said to his older cousin, Charles Darwin, look, uh, we're looking at populations around the world and we whites, European Caucasians are gonna be well outnumbered. And uh, based upon survival of the fittest and all these other things, when we're outnumbered, uh, we're gonna be less than you know some of these other ethnicities. So why don't you and I, this is the two cousins, Charles Darwin and Francis Galton, why don't you and I come up with a scheme, a way to basically lower populations of every other ethnicity. They came up with this, this term eugenics. Eugenics means well-born. Okay. So far, so good. All right. So well-born then became a real thing. They said, Hey, this is our, this is our deal. Well-born. The number one guy who first adopted it, Adolf Hitler. And he says, look, we can do this to the Jews because look, They're not well-born. We are well-born. Charles Darwin already laid it out for us. And guess what? Jews, the Poles, and all these other other ethnicities that Hitler went against and and grossly exterminated in one way or another and and tormented, uh, he justified it all based on Charles Darwin and eugenics. That's a fact. That's a fact. Now, so when you when you carry that forward then and when it comes to America we have uh, you know Margaret Sanger though as part of the eugenic society, and she says, look, first of all we're going to do sterilizations. They started sterilizing over sixty thousand poor black women in the United States. Okay, no we just time. Go ahead without the note.
0: Okay, uh, so so how? I mean, I, I, you, you don't just go into a Walmart and sit down and say uh, we're giving free uh, free um, uh, tubal ligations today. What what? How did that happen?
2: Yeah, so so what they did is they 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 determined that these black women were uh, were poor, and they said come in for your screenings. It was under the guise of a government program, okay, where we're going to give you some free screenings and some free <laughs> things, and then and literally they did invasive sterilization for black women, and that that whole thing and and uh, over sixty thousand of them, and that's well documented fact. Actually, those women got reparations. Okay. Uh, for their for the for these things that were heinously done to them because they Terrific. weren't told that it was actually going to sterilize them forever, right? So 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 then the second phase was abortion. So here's the thing that I want all my brothers and sisters to understand, Jewish, Caucasian, whatever, is that if you really stand with us against white supremacy and racism, you need to understand that abortion, the only justification for abortion. Is when Darwin and his first cousin uh, Francis Galton said, "Look, we are the the supreme ones, and we want to make sure that we exterminate other ethnicities." That's the old. There was no scientific justification for abortion whatsoever. It is here to literally exterminate everyone else that wasn't white. That's okay. a fact in history. So, so, so. I would say to all my brothers and sisters, my Jewish brothers and sisters that are well-meaning and want to... You can be socially whatever, uh, you know, liberal, but understand that this policy is literally founded, rooted, fully based in uh, white supremacy.
0: Okay, you know what? Um, Because this conversation is so engaging, I already missed several minutes ago the opportunity to say, hey, let's take a break. No, really. I can't believe how... And, and it's now it's 7.35 in the morning. You woke me up. I didn't need that coffee. Um, thank you. But we are going to take a break. I want to come back to pick up on that. And then, um, I mean, I think we could go on for hours just about this, but I wanted to progress to, to also when we met. So hold on. Let's take a quick break. As remarkable and miraculous as Israel is, and its very existence, a testimony to God's faithfulness, in many ways, Israel's like most other countries, just as there are parents anywhere. Who have stronger and weaker parenting abilities, and adults become a product of situations in their lives that they cannot control, making their ability to raise and care for their own children even harder. That's true in Israel as well. The Genesis 123 Foundation is committed and takes the mandate seriously to care for the least of these our brothers, our children. We're committed to bless and strengthen orphans and at risk youth, to invest in them, to empower them so that their future will be brighter than their past or their present. But Israel is unique in that there are always threats of war and terror which know no bounds. For children who come from homes that are not safe, sometimes the very scary reality of living in a community that's not safe is too much to bear. We are committed to turning orphans and at-risk youth into children of promise. We fund a variety of programs to help those most in need as widely as we can. We invite and encourage you to join us today so that we can ensure their brighter tomorrow. Please visit Genesis123.co to find out more and to send your love and most generous donation today. Okay, so Kevin, I just wanted to pick up on the, the... Justification, if you will, for abortion. Um, I think that the word that I would use is inception of that of that uh, of, of modern abortion because biblically, Jews differ from Christians and others in many ways that abortion is ought to be legal because abortion in order to save the life of the mother, is something that is rabbinically sanctioned, and 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 I want to say that yes. because I know that there are Jews who are listening who are going to say, oh no, it's not just about racism. We do we, we do need to also protect the life but of the I'm mother saying, for whatever. So let us jump in that's
2: not an abortion when they do it that way. Yeah, that's literally saving the life of the mother. Yeah, it's called something else. It's not officially what they would call an abortion. Yeah. just right? So
1: you know, uh, Jonathan, when we co- when we say we're pro life it has an exception for saving the life of the mother great good so all pro lifers believe that the life of the mother has to be saved first and then but it turns out that that is such a minority of cases yes. in almost awesome. every case correct. both the mother and the child would die anyway correct so you're not you're not killing anything that wouldn't you know it's not it's not we don't even consider it as an abortion the <laughs> the exceptions people try to bring in are such, you know, it's like we're talking about a 0.3 percent of yeah. all um, all abortions are done because to save the life of the mother, and it, and the pro-life argument, the biblical argument, the Christian argument says that is perfectly acceptable. Got and it. it follows the, the the concept of self-defense, right? So if somebody is right. if something is going to kill you, you can take an act in self-defense. Correct.
0: Yep. Exactly. The Hebrew of that is the rodef. If you have someone invading. Someone who's about to kill you—you you not only have an opportunity, but the obligation to defend yeah. yourself. And 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 this is where I get into a lot of heated conversations, building bridges between Jews and Christians, because cr- typically Christians don't look at it that way. And 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 it does—I don't know—I'm not trying to change anybody's mind, but I just I, I hold by the traditional Jewish value. But I'm so glad you said if if that's the only piece that comes out of this conversation to define what we're talking about vis-a-vis abortion, although I, I think that will that's very profound. Um, before I move on, because I do want to move on, is there anything pressing that you just have to say in terms of the difference between every Black life matters and, all, and Black lives
1: matter that, I, that we need to um, highlight? Yeah, I think well, there are two things. One, we are actually suggesting real solutions to Black life. Okay. if If people were to follow our principles, and um, I'm in the middle of writing a book called "How to Stop Racism in America," and that actually lays out every single step that it would take to bring black families up to the level of white families or to or or any other ethnicity in America, um and to stop the discrimination. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that when we engage, one of the beauties of, you know, because we're so easily, confused with BLM. One of the beauties is when we engage with pro-BLMers, we actually use the Aikido technique to bring them over to our side. Good. Um, and so what we say, is, for instance, if somebody says Black Lives Matter, we, we say, Black Lives Matter, we say, well, does every single Black Lives Matter? And of course, they're gonna say yes. And then we say, well, let me ask you this question. Did you know that because of the American policy of welfare, 75% of all African-American parent, uh, kids grow up without a father in the home. Do those fatherless Black lives matter to you? And of course, they're going to say yes. And then we say, well, you know, because of that 75% fatherlessness, the kids growing up in those fatherless homes are going to get involved in gangs, they're going to get involved in drugs, they're going to get sexually active ahead of, uh, 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 very quickly. So do those gang member b- Black lives Matter to you? And then, of course, they say yes. Yeah. We said, well, because of those gang members <laughs> and the crime, um, that feeds into the inner city schools. And so the school literacy rate has gone down to 17% amongst Black kids. And 80% of Black parents want a voucher so they can take their kids out of those gang infested schools and put them in a private school. Do those school children, Black lives, matter okay. to you? You see how this is going, right? Yeah. By the time we're done, they're like, well, we agree with you. I'm like, in that case, you agree with every Black Lives good. Matter. When we're different from BLM.
0: So because I, I before we started uh, recording, I said, I'm going to forget. Thank you for reminding me not to forget. Where do people find out more information about every Black Lives Matter?
1: They can every, go to everyblm.com.
0: Everyblm.com. everyblm.com. Okay. And it's, a, and it's very good. And it's a, and, and people who are listening, and now you know why I'm, I was impressed with Neil and with Kevin as I was and needed to have this continued conversation, um, I want you to look at their site and you get involved on your own with um, Every Black Life Matters because it because they're right and because it does. Um, so thank you for that. Let's let's move on to where we met and how we met in Jerusalem. Um, I don't recall, to be honest, if it was your first trip or or twentieth trip. Um, I know it was a unique trip, and I want to start with with where we finished, where we, you were in my community for for a number of hours that Friday morning. Um, and, and I'm so glad you both mentioned the Aikido technique because I've never thought of it, but pejoratively people refer to where I live as the West Bank and me living in a settlement. Now I'll use those words and just redefine them like you do with, with Every Black Life Matters um i live in a Jew, in a jewish suburb of jerusalem in the judean mountains the biblical heartland and when people realize that a we're living here and we're not, and we're doing so as part of the land that god deeded abraham isaac and jacob and their descendants of which i and my family are are party to that it begins to disarm the conversation is to, first of all, our legitimacy here. And second of all, whether or not there is an occupation or an oppression or apartheid. Um, I know I'm setting you up for, for basically echoing more or less, but I'd like to hear in your own voice. We didn't talk after that. What was your experience here on those levels, here in Ephrat in the Judean mountains?
1: So Now, if I understood you correctly, all that land was actually purchased legally. Is that correct? The land where I live? Yeah. Where my house is built? Yeah. Is
0: what, what was known as state land that either was owned by the Jordanian monarchy, which occupied the land for 19 years. Before that, it was the British for 30 years. Before that, it was the Ottomans but never privately owned um, Palestinian Arab
1: land. Right. So you, you didn't, you you took possession, and I didn't know this. See, this is something that people don't understand. I didn't know it until you mentioned it, that it was bought, it was purchased, or it was acquired legally without, it wasn't like you took somebody who owned mm-hmm. the land and then kicked them out of it, right? So, and I think that was a very important thing for me, even though I'm pro- you know israeli and pro-jewish um that was something that i had never known you know that was something that i think was very important for us so I, um i mean i did know of course that uh, there are arab jews i mean arab israelis rather who are have all the rights of citizenship and can move back through and forth just like anybody else so i knew that and so that was of course something a lot of people don't know a lot of people think that when they come to Israel, oh, well, if you're Arab, then you're, you're, you do, you have no rights whatsoever, not realizing that you could be an Arab who has an Israeli citizenship and be just equal to everybody else. And in fact, run for office and be in the Knesset,
0: right? 100%. Kevin, what what was your experience?
2: Yeah, my experience was uh, the the people, the surroundings, all of the antiquity and the ancient uh, history that goes with, with Israel. And, and the Jewish people in general, just uh, very gracious, very hospitable, uh, loving. Um, I found that the there are a lot of intercommunication, uh, intermingling, if you will, with uh, Palestinians and Jewish uh, communities. Uh, that was eye-opening for me. I really thought it was separate because of all of the, you know, we hear here, it's all, you know, it's occupied and all this stuff. It's really not like that. It it, was, it it seemed like these communities actually have a, 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 a found a nice uh, way to kind of work together. I know at times it gets very tense, but while we were there, it was uh, it, it, you know it was it was really nice, and we didn't see any uh, any kind of uh, dissension between the, the, the various factions that are there and represented in that area. Uh, so it was just uh, it was just a, a wonderful time. Um, I think that um, uh, uh, when I realize that there's a lot of Palestinians <laughs> that go that leave Palestinian territories and go into Jerusalem or parts of Jewish communities to work, and that they're, you know, that they're offered uh, employment and, and they're part of the Jewish communities for for working and for play and and, and these kinds of things, and then they go back to their Palestinian. Homes later in the evening I, I i thought that was really quite eye-opening because I, I you know again a lot of the caricatures that are that are presented here in the united states by virtue of a corrupt media uh they give you half the story right. uh they try to paint israel and jews as as bigoted and 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 and, and uh, uh racist and uh you know occupiers and colonialists and all the other you know uh you know ad hominems right
0: it's so and, interesting um, yeah
2: I didn't see anything of the sort. I saw loving people. I saw people who were willing to graciously accept other people, as long as you're willing to accept them. And And, and uh, I I saw a lot of harmony.
1: One other thing I wanted to notice, when I was in Jerusalem last, that was in 1994. And I think the biggest difference between when I was there about 30 years ago and now was how many Black Israelis were there now. Hmm. I mean we saw Ethiopian is, Jews everywhere right and I think I, I'm sure there were other ethnicities too but you know the Ethiopians I, I know Ethiopians have been in Ethiopia for a few years I can recognize an Ethiopian right so the number of Ethiopian Jews I saw you know we saw them at immigration we saw them guarding, guarding all the different places we saw them at the west at the whaling wall we they were just all over and um and then also when we were in the hotel we had a whole bunch of them um, sharing in, there was some special event going on with a bunch of, uh, I guess it was the Shabbat or something like that. Yeah. There was just a whole bunch of, you know, Western looking, you know, like American looking Jews and, and Eastern looking Jews and Ethiopian looking Jews. They're all there and they were all playing and hanging out as teenagers do. And it was just something I had not seen when I came in 94 because I don't think that immigration had happened as much.
0: Well, oh, there, there are many more. Immigrations, I think the, I can tell you that the second big immigration happened, in fact, in 1991. And I always like to give this shout out because it was one of the ways that I knew I wanted to spend my life with the woman who I married a year later. Um, there was It was the end of May of 91, and there was a third, you, you'll probably recall this, a 36-hour airlift where Israeli planes flew um, caravans saving 15,000 Ethiopian Jews oh, who, okay. who had fled and were stuck in 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 Addis Ababa and um but but they were still in new immigrant absorption centers right. not not engaging and they hadn't yet had children who were now integrated in all right, exactly levels of yeah. society it's fascinating that you point that out neil because or or maybe it was kevin the the, the the diversity because i have a son in law who's half Who's who's half Yemenite, and his skin tone is dark as a result. And two of my grandchildren um, are, 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 are similar to him. And I have a daughter who's dating a, a a young man whose both parents are Yemenite and who's darker than you are, Neil. Um
2: yeah. and,
0: and and it's and it's so fascinating to see that ethnic uh diversity here. Um people think of it as more. White Ashkenazi, blue-eyed people like myself, um, but but it's a beautiful mix. Um, yeah,
1: two two interesting things. So one, I don't know if you read my list, but I did spend six years in Yemen.
0: I saw so, that, yeah. Uh,
1: <clears throat> so and the second thing is, when I came there in '94, I was working with Tajiran. I came there as an engineer, and then they they allowed me to do a tour around uh, Israel. But while I was eating in the cafeteria, this Indian lady walks up to me and says, uh-huh. "Indian lady, in his in you know, in Haifa, I think that's where the Company um, factory was that I was in." And she comes up to me and she says, "Are you married?" And I said, "No." She said, "Well, I want to introduce you to my daughter." Nice. <laughs> and I said, hey, "Would you like?" And she said, "Do you want to settle in Israel?" I'm like, "Oh well, I don't know. You know, I got a job back there and all that." But uh, but here's an Indian Jew, you know uh, kind of saying, "Hey, you know I want to introduce you to my daughter just, just, just a kind of interesting thing because I was like, wow i didn 't realize there were so many Indian Jews as well so that just one more ethnic diversity there it 's fabulous
0: um, let me let me take another really quick break, and then I want to come back and just dig a little deeper on this uh, on on this topic and your experiences here um, in June. The restoration of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel was an earth-shattering event. For Christians, it was a confirmation that God always keeps his covenantal promises. Today, we are blessed to see God's fingerprints in the modern miracle of the land of Israel playing out in our lives among the people and in the state of Israel. This year, on the occasion of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis One Two Three Foundation has been privileged to bring together 75 Christian leaders from around the world to lend their unique voices, sharing their personal faith experiences relating to Israel and their in-depth insight into Israel's history and spiritual significance, creating an historical, one-of-a-kind, high-end coffee table book, Israel the Miracle. Israel the Miracle's stunning imagery will fill your home with the hope of fulfilled promises and conversations about Israel. It's a perfect gift to anyone for any occasion, and most of all to yourself. You'll also be a blessing to Israel, knowing that the proceeds will go to bless Israelis of all backgrounds. Be a part of Israel the Miracle and bring the land, the people, and the state of Israel into your heart and into your home. Visit IsraelTheMiracle.com to get your limited edition copy today. Okay, Kevin, Neil, um, a delightful conversation. Um, I'm waking up in in the morning and I could go on for another hour or two, but respectful of what hour it is where you are, we're not going to do that. Um, Kevin, you were talking earlier and I wanted to pick up on something in terms of what you saw. Um, First of all, I invite people to be in touch and come and visit I don't do tourism to Judea and Samaria as a profession, but it's important. We're talking about building bridges and creating understanding. It's important to understand, and and similarly as to how you both are not only debunking what BLM is, but also what every Black life matters is and should be. So I I I think of that, and I think also that we need to have a every Arab life matters because honestly there are far more. Israeli Jews who care about the well-being of our, our Arab neighbors, um, certainly in the Palestinian Authority, and there are Palestinian Arab leaders who do so. And 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 we could go on. I mean, it's a very interesting topic to to pick up on, but it's probably one we could create a whole parallel about the the um, the, the black community in America being taken advantage of for for so many years same way as the Palestinian Arab community and 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 what they and what they really do deserve and 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 should have having said that um major daughter is a south african leader she was leading the summit and the tour most of the participants were some were from south africa the the king of the khoisan people in his very traditional uh dress um what were, were all attractions throughout my community with people taking selfies and wanting to understand who he was. But you were in and then you continued to Hebron, which is which is a, a place that gets a little bit more intense with, with the overlap and, and um in fact experiencing some tension. Did either of you, you know, from South Africa, we've now had the um blight that Israel is an apartheid state, that we're a racist state that de facto Israel is discriminatory and even anti-democratic. You're both very intelligent and analytical. What did you see, if anything, that gave you reason to think any of that is true or conversely, what demonstrated, no, that that's just a bunch of nonsense?
2: Uh, So I I saw just the opposite. I saw that the uh, Jewish communities and the people therein, all of these different communities and enclaves that we went through throughout uh, Israel were uh, very gracious and again we traveled with a contingent of South Africans so uh, these people are quite familiar with apartheid they understand how it looks how it feels how, how the you know they could sense it right uh they were just completely enamored by how gracious everybody from uh Israel uh, you know accepted us even as a you know you know 40 person uh, contingent that would be that was kind of touring through the area everybody was very helpful and loving and gracious to us and uh so we didn't and, and not only that but but we didn't see any signs of any uh tension between any peoples in and around you know israel at all so uh for us it was it was as clear that a lot of these um you know a lot of these uh sort of ad hominem type of of, of disparage uh, disparaging uh connotations about Israel and the Jews are are really there to because a lot of people around the world are jealous for one reason or another about uh Israel and the Jew and the Jewish uh people and so if they can set up a, a, a scenario where Jews and Israel are seen in a negative light compared to uh others and if they can be seen as the oppressors if they can be seen as the the bigoted uh you know race haters uh and occupiers um then that that sort of helps you know others the 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 people who 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 are pushing those 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 types of caricatures are uh it makes them feel better somehow but it's just not true we didn't see that i, I you know Uh, I certainly didn't
0: see it. It's good that you didn't see it because lots of people come here and expect that there's going to be abject racism and they're going to take your group and sit you in a corner of the room or something like that, or you would be looked at differently in some way. Um, It's important you didn't see it, but I think it's also important by full disclosure that when you when you come back, I can take you to places where you will see it. There is tension. There is there are issues, but it but but it does it doesn't mean that the society is oppressive that we are racist that 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 there is a part i mean it's so offensive when to me when people refer to israel as apartheid a because it's not correct and b because it absolutely flies in the face of the genuine suffering that millions and millions of black Af- black south africans truly suffered yeah. for generations <laughs>
1: Yeah. the um I think the other thing that was is very interesting is and this was made clear to me more so often more so this time than when I was there last is Israel has become a powerhouse of manufacturing and production and commerce i mean you know you like for instance uh if you pick up a um an a macbook you know half the half the inventions in the macbook were invented in Israel somewhere you know like the hard portions of the hard drive, things like that. There, there, I mean, there's so much going on there today and the, the inventions coming out of Israel every day. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but Jews, if you look at the number of inventors over the last uh, 200, 300 years, or since the patent, I think it's 100, 200 years of the patent, uh, there's a huge number of them that are Jewish. Just yes. a massive number of Jews are inventors, are great inventors. And this has translated to Israel. And the reason I bring that up is because if the Palestinian authority wanted to make, make factories and manufacturing plants, every Palestinian would be so much better off today because they've got this huge um, com- commercial partner right next door to them. They don't even have to ship anything. They can actually produce it and drive it over you know, and deliver it. And they can participate in the world economy through Israel. And it just struck me that the reason, it's almost like to cut your nose to spite your face.
0: Ah, uh, So that's so excellent because if you look at the Palestinian authority and the historic Palestinian Arab narrative, it, the, the, their, their raison d'etre is to combat Israel. And we've seen it physically. We see it in terror. We see it in the in the, um, in the violence and the hate that they instill in their children. And I've experienced that. But yeah. but I'm so glad, and maybe this is a great way to begin to wrap up the conversation. One of you were speaking before, maybe it was you, Kevin, um, about seeing knowing that Palestinian Arabs come into Israel and have jobs, come into my community and have jobs. And and Neil, you just, I think, hit the nail on the head. The fact is, I think about a third some I uh, don't quote me and I, and I and it's only because i'm I'm not making up the number I believe it but I have it if anyone wants to to reach out and and ask me to c- give the precise number I will but there was a Palestinian Authority survey released recently not an Israeli one showing that about a third of Palestinian Arabs are employed in Israeli communities now that's wonderful that's wonderful on a lot of levels but it also means that the Palestinian authority with all of the money that they get from the EU and from all kind of USAID is that they have not just refused but failed to invest in their own communities, mm-hmm. and and they are an educated, highly educated group of uh, the Arabs in the Middle East, and it's a it's a shame, it's a damn shame that their own society doesn't uh-huh. invest in that. Because they, if they would, and if they understood that there can be a, an accommodation in terms of how we coexist, whatever peace means, there can, there can be prosperity in all capital letters. And that,
1: that changes reality. Absolutely. And I think Trump hit, did such a great job when he brought all the different countries together to do commerce. He said, look, let's just focus on commerce. Let's focus on business. And all of a sudden you had, you know, the Saudis, you had the, you know, the Egyptians have been at the table for a while, but you start suddenly, you, this was something that is so obvious, but nobody had ever done it before. Correct. And I think that if we could break through to the Palestinians in that sense, I mean, just so you know, I mean, in Yemen, I grew up with Palestinians. They were I was surrounded by Palestinians in Yemen. Uh, and they're some of the hardest working people. I mean, they had the shops, they had You know, they were they were just some of the hardest working people there. And if they could translate that into prosperity for themselves. Now, one of the biggest problems with that is the same problem that we saw in Africa is corruption. When you have huge amounts of corruption in your land where you have to pay off police, you have to pay off (coughs) politicians and you can't only the favored people can start businesses and stuff. That's going to turn destroy your commerce It's going to destroy entrepreneurship. And, and I probably with
0: that. And it destroys hope when you have a society yeah. like they have, which is cronyism where they don't yeah. have elections, where, where it's known. In fact, I want everyone to listen. If you haven't a couple of weeks ago, I came out with an episode called the future of Israel with a good friend. We it, the episode deliberately came out the Thursday. Oh, it was the day before we met. It was the day we met. And the day before um, I hosted you here in, in my town, because two days later, his daughter and my son got married, and oh, yeah. and and he has a fabulous peace plan that's rooted in economic prosperity. So I want people to listen to that episode that came out the, the last week of uh, of June because it so ties into what we're speaking about. Um, and I and you know what? And I didn't know this conversation was going to go that way, but I kind of wanted to figure out, yeah, okay. Every black life matters, yes, absolutely. You're doing something that's 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 god ordained that's that that that's divine, that counteracts something that's so negative and hateful and doesn't have solutions and if we and and it's not an exact overlaying of the model, but and you two are much more intelligent than I am, but if we were to spend some time thinking about it, we would see I'm showing you my two hands, we would see an overlap like this or or nearly. That 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 pa- parallels the situation that we have here. Who really cares about the well-being of the Palestinian Arabs?
1: Right. And, so- and and there's so much similarity, in fact, between what we're seeing in the black communities and the Palestinian communities. There's like, like as you said, there's a, there's a definite peril. There is the leaders of the so-called black communities who maintain power. They're getting they're getting special benefits and they don't care about the people below them. Yeah. And I think we see that in the Palestinian community too. And yet, they're both in prime positions to be able to leverage and grow and become prosperous. prosperous. But Forever. the people don't see it because that's been hidden from them.
0: Right. One of the things I love about recording by, vi- by video, even though this is audio, is I get to see, and it's not the first time, Kevin, but the rapid, aggressive nodding and agreement the affirmation, um, it, it's, it's not just Neil's thoughts, but this is, the, the, wow, what a wonderful conversation. Before, before I let you both go wind down and go to sleep in your respective time zones, um, whether it's regarding every Black life mat, uh, Matters or your experience here in Israel, and or how the, the two overlap, what did we not cover that you wanna mention?
2: Uh, for, uh, first of all, I think that a lot of people may want to follow us, uh, may want to find out more about Neil or, and myself individually, and then collectively what we're doing around the world. Uh, they can go to our website, everyblm.com, everyblm.com. Uh, Neil has written six books. He's working on a six now. It'll be published here soon. I've written six. They're all published. You can go on Amazon and find out what those are. And I deal with wokeism, uh, war on women and. VEI is the latest, and so there's all kinds of stuff that if you if your listeners would like to follow us, we are sincere in trying to solve problems globally. So uh, if we can help with the Palestinian issue there, with the Arabs, and, and and help with some of the some parallels in some way, we're keen to do that. Um, and uh, so you know we're you know we're 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 all in. Uh, we think that. If we focus on God, focus on real solutions, we can actually bring communities together. We can actually experience unity. Um, But if we don't do that, uh, and if we rely on Marxism, we are going to experience grotesque calamity. Everybody's going to suffer. So, um, so I think that that, that's if I can just mention that that's that's what I would say. Neil, do you have anything else?
1: I know. I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. So, (coughs) real solutions um and and i think that if we can focus on that and get the politicians to realize that um which is what we work on all the time then i think we can see a solution I and mean, we can see a long term cooperation and prosperity
0: fabulous gentlemen you know what i started out with all sincerity you guys both blew me away it was the beginning of that summit and and i knew i needed to have more and 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 this we're, we're having this conversation but for us I pray this is really also just the beginning. Um I'm so glad we had this opportunity um to share you and your vision and insight and 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 biblically rooted heart um for the black community, for Israel and the Jewish people and for Palestinian Arabs. You know, the the, the difference is that you add the word every and you yes. have a scope that's so broad and and I'm and I'm blessed. I I could go on rambling, but I'm just this has been a delightful delightful Conversation. Thank you both for making time. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
2: Jonathan, appreciate you, brother.
0: As, as we wrap up, always offer, I, I, I say at the beginning of the conversation, you deserve a special reward. Um, this conversation has been amazing. Like, I won't say everyone, but most of the ones we do here at Inspiration from Zion. Um, beginning this month, I'm starting something new. Uh, we are coming out with our first incredible book called Israel the Miracle. And I want to give, I want you to buy copies and I want you to go to israelthemiracle.com and order your own and get them for your church and your ministry and sell them and share them and, 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 and you'll hear why. But every month I'm going to give away a copy to somebody. Who, and all you have to do is go to Inspiration from Zion uh, social media and like and comment on this episode or any episode this month. And I'm picking one person at random. And you are going to love this book, Bringing Israel into Your Home. Called Israel the Miracle. Um, we're grateful always that our podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area, go in and tell them thank you. Thanks for helping make conversations like this possible. And tell them what you learned. Um, also, special thanks to our friends, the Coyne family, for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis One Two Three Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and to build bridges. Um, because I'm the host, I have the prerogative sometimes when I'm, when I'm not offered um, a little bit of money for somebody to say, hey, I wanna host this podcast in honor or memory of somebody. I have the privilege of, ho- of, of, of dedicating this episode first uh, in, in, in honor of Regina Roundtree who introduced us and brought us together and made your daughter who had the vision to bring you both to Israel. Thank you to both of them. Now, if someone would like to pay a little money to have an episode sponsored in honor or memory of a loved one or special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We love always to hear your comments as part of an ongoing dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, specifically questions about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this conversation with others who also find it of interest. And please continue to join us right here where we bring you more meaningful conversations about topics about Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray Alleluia. that you and your loved ones Alleluia. are all safe and healthy, and I send my blessings from right here in the Judea Mountains. God bless you.
1: Alleluia.